Hi there, and welcome to another episode of the STEM Everyday Podcast. Welcome to the STEM Everyday Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Chris Woods. Putting STEM into every classroom, every day. Well, thanks for joining us on this episode of the STEM Everyday Podcast. I'm really excited we get to chat with Stephen Ruth. He is a maker teacher. Yes, a maker teacher at the STEM Academy of Bartlett in Savannah, Georgia. Welcome to the show, Stephen. Hey, thanks. Thanks for having me on again. Yeah, it's, uh, it's so exciting to be able to, to chat with Stephen. I, I actually chatted with him years ago, and we had the podcast all ready to go, and it got lost. You know, that greatness of technology sometimes sometimes strikes even, even the STEM Everyday podcast. But we got Stephen back on. And first off, Stephen, I just want to say how awesome that you get to be a maker teacher and tell everybody, what is it like being a maker teacher? How did you end up being a maker teacher? So it's kind of an interesting story. Um, the school I teach at, we have been open for six years now. We yeah. are a magnet school. Um, so all the students apply to come to us and they go through a lottery process. When we first opened, um, we were able to hire a complete new faculty. Um, I was one of the ones that was lucky enough to be hired. Um, the first year we had, um, some race to the top grant money that my principal and I were trying to figure out how to spend. And I'm like, you know, we really need to have a maker space. So we took some of that grant money and were able to pretty well fill up a maker space. And we did it as a club the first year. Um, and it was so popular. I went back to him and said, Hey, you know what? We need to teach this as one of our applications classes. Um, it needs to be a class so kids can really get more deeper into making and looking at taking the abstract concepts that they're learning and, and turning them into physical items. So, uh, he he thought it was a great idea. So the next year I got to teach five maker classes to six, seventh and eighth graders. And it's just kind of grown from there. Um, I tell people I get to play every day. It's, it's just a, fantastic thing to come to work. Yeah. And, and, and so you never get tired out and everything is always easy. I'm sure. Right. Well, I didn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> you get to, you get to play, right? Play is easy, play, but we play hard. So, um, okay. So, uh, tell me, I, I know one of the big things that you have your kids work on are those grand engineering challenges and, and educators, if you haven't heard of them, uh, just go to engineeringchallenges.org and they're, they're sponsored or created by the National Academy of Engineering. And tell us a little bit how you, how you use those, uh, Stephen. Absolutely. We, um, when we were first setting our curriculum for the new school here, one of the things we looked at was how can we create um, multidisciplinary cross-curricular units for mm-hmm. all of the subject areas. So we're all working on projects together. And we came across the National Academy of Engineers Grand Challenges, and it just seemed like the perfect fit um, the first year we actually decided we were going to do a grand, cha- a different grand challenge every quarter with each grade level. And that was entirely too much. It was, <laughs> so we narrowed it down the next year and decided we were going to do one each year. So sixth grade looks at the grand challenge of providing access to clean water. Okay. Seventh grade looks at a combination of two. They look at engineering, better medicine and health informatics. Okay. And eighth grade, they look at improving urban infrastructure. Um, and those grand challenges kind of fit with the science and math curriculum for each of those grade levels. Okay, great. That makes sense. Right. And so we were able to take those and then basically what happens is we have two, three big 
um, planning days a year where the entire faculty meets at different times throughout the day. And we plan what each grade level is going to look like in each classroom and how it's going to connect to the grand challenge. Um, and then it all works towards capstone things at the end of each year for all of our students who are working in teams to try and solve one of those challenges. Wow. That's, um, that's, that's pretty impressive. Heady stuff there. Yeah, it's, it's cool for us. A big part of STEM is not only multidisciplinary, but real world problem solving and can't get any more real world than the grand challenges are. So yeah. who knows you, one of our kids may come up with a solution to one of these one day. Right, right. So again, teachers find them at engineeringchallenges.org. Uh, you can find out there's 14 of them. Like you said, combine a couple of them or, or even just, like you said, start small, just pick one to to challenge your kids with and, and come up with some, and, and I'm sure there's some resources and things on that page and other pages as well. You can find out or, or reach out to Steven. He'd be happy to, in all of his spare time, share some of his help. Just like every teacher, Steven has plenty of spare time, right? Absolutely. Right. Yeah. I'd, I'd be more than happy to talk to anybody about him. Um, I was actually lucky enough earlier this year. Um, um, our, my principal, Dr. Cave and myself were able to go to Washington DC for the, National Academy of Engineers um, annual Grand Scholar wow. meeting. So we were there with, basically, we were the only um, non-higher education people there. So we got to see how they're using the Grand Challenges in, you know, higher education. And it was it was actually pretty rewarding because it showed us that we were kind of on the right track. That Yeah. Because it was a lot different what we were doing from what they were doing. It was pretty cool. And And you're only teaching sixth, seventh, and eighth graders compared to, college level kids. That's, that's pretty incredible. And, and again, by the way, I haven't mentioned this yet, but you can find Steven on Twitter at S underscore R O U T H STEM. That's S underscore Ruth STEM. Um, definitely check him out, find him. He's always posting great pictures of, of things that you're working on in your, in your maker classroom. Like right now you've been posting a lot of things about the tiny houses you have your kids making. Yeah. So this year, like I said, with eighth grade, we're looking at improving urban infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Here in Savannah, there is a group called the Chatham Savannah Authority on Homeless. Okay. Uh, and they just started a project earlier this year where they're in the process of building a tiny home community to house um, about 48 homeless veterans in the oh, area. Wow. Wow. And so we got involved with them. So my eighth graders have been looking at little uh, tiny house design. They've been designing their own tiny houses. We were able to actually do the framing for a tiny house that we just finished up about a month ago um, that is currently sitting in the main hallway of the building. It's pretty cool. <laughs> it's a lot of, gets a lot of comments. Um, and then right now they're in the process of actually building fold down Murphy tables for, that will actually be going in some of the houses that are being built for the homeless veterans. Okay. So, so a good use of space, uh, that design thinking aspect and, and real world stuff and, and definitely with a real purpose. I mean, these are, these are spots for homeless veterans and, and what better way to be able to do something for your community than, than do something that, that reaches a, a need in your community. Absolutely. It's just driving home to the students that, you know, yes, you are going to use these things that you're trying, we're trying to teach you in the real world at some point mm-hmm. and just giving them those connections. It's pretty exciting. The, the house we framed that's sitting in the building is a three-year project. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully each year I get to add, we get, we get to keep adding to it. So hopefully okay. at the end of three years, we're going to have a completed tiny house here on campus. Wow. That's the goal. Um, we've had, had to be kind of creative with 
how we're getting the money for it and reach out yep. to community partners and stuff like that to do some funding. Cause I figure it's going to end up costing us probably about 20 to $30,000 when we're all done. Wow. So definitely, I mean, any kind of project. So not only when you started this project, you looked at a community need and you saw something going on in the community and you said, Hey, we can, we can combine what we're doing in the classroom with that. Also looking to community for resources and such. Absolutely. Cool. And a lot of times those things are just, just ask and look around and, and check the local news and see, see what you can do and help with or talk to community groups and organizations. And there's all sorts of needs if we're, we're willing to look. So. Yeah. A lot of people are looking to find ways to give and they just don't know how. So, you know, just trying to make those connections with local, you know, businesses and companies and saying, Hey, we know you're trying to give back to the community. Here's a way you can do it. All right. Awesome, Stephen. Uh, again, we're talking with Stephen Ruth, uh, a maker teacher at STEM Academy in Savannah, Georgia. Now, I, I said you're a maker teacher, but you're also, you, you have a new class this year. Tell us about that one. Yeah. Um, so once again, I went to my principal and said, hey, I've got this crazy idea. So um, the, the, the key here is go to your principal and say you have a crazy idea. If, if you want to be like Stephen, that's what you do. It helps. It helps if you have the right administrators. Um, sure. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> but um, I don't know if you remember a couple of years ago, the Super Bowl, they had the halftime show, which was um, they did in an entire mm-hmm. staff full of drones for the light part of the halftime show. Right. Yeah. And I just got thinking, you know, if we're not already doing stuff with our drone, our kids dealing with drones that we're behind, mm-hmm. uh, this is one of the new technologies that's going to change um, the workforce and the way um, jobs occur in the future. And, and we really need to get kids on board now. So I went to my principal and said, Hey, I really think we need to start offering a drone class. This is what I want to do. I gave him a whole curriculum um, and we were able to dig up a little money and start things. Actually last year was my first year teaching it. It was kind of an experiment last year and I've been able to build on it. Um, so we spent a lot of time. We learned about the physics of multi-rotor flight which okay. ties in, only teaches to eighth graders. So it ties into the physical science they're learning. Yep. Um, and then we learn laws that um, impact drone flight. We look at safety. So they know what is acceptable, what is not acceptable, what's legal, what's not legal. How yep. do we do yep. this safely? Um, and then we move into companies where I take my kids based on their interest and put them in four or five different companies um, and then they have to work and build that company from the ground up. So there are very cool research and development companies. Mm-hmm. There are, um, videography companies and there are, um, infrastructure inspection companies. Okay. Um, each of those companies has to create a social media presence. They has to, they have to create a website. They have to create, um, sales presentations. They actually get hired by people in the building to do jobs, whether it's um, the students in film and broadcasting looking for video for their films or whether it's going to our assistant principal, Ms. Taylor, and asking her what what on campus needs to be inspected that's hard to get to. Um, Actually, we actually did something real world this last week. My infrastructure inspection companies actually did – video footage capture of a bird eye view of our soccer field, which has been damaged by some trucks driving across of it. So they oh, can really? see exactly the extent of damage and where it was. It all got sent to the person who's doing the repair work downtown. So wow, that was, that was really cool. Talk about, talk about real life stuff for these kids. And it's, it's not just handing in a worksheet and it, it also doesn't sound like just, Hey, let's give the kids some drones and let's just play with drones for a, a, a semester. Correct. 
Yeah. There's a, there's a lot of layers to it and you know, they, they learn a lot. I mean, they have, they have to write contracts. They have to write, um, scopes of work. They have to do, I mean, everything they would have to, if they were trying to do this, um, in a company. Right. And, and a lot of these kids are going to grow up and they're going to work in all those types of fields that you just listed because a drone isn't just like we think of at first a toy or something that shows up to make really cool videos to post on, on social media. It's, it's part of, it's part of everything. And and more and more as, as people realize it can be used for all sorts of different things. Absolutely. So, Hey, um, let me, let me ask you, Steven. Now we, we were discussing this at one point on Twitter, you and I, that, that aspect of how do you deal with having a substitute teacher? And I thought this would be a great idea to, to just chat something we don't often talk about here on, on the STEM Everyday Podcast, but what if you have a, a substitute teacher for a class like yours? Isn't that really got to be difficult, right? It is, um, particularly because I'm sitting in a room here that's full of power tools and <laughs> heavy equipment and 3D printers and CNC machines. So there's a lot of dangerous, dangerous. stuff in this room. Yeah. <laughs> So it's kind of, it's always, um, it's always a juggling match. I try to, if I know I'm going to be out, I have a couple of subs that I've worked with in the past. Um, particularly there's a retired teacher who I taught with at another school who okay. is kind of a woodworker kind of maker person himself. Mm-hmm. So as I get, if he's available and I know I'm going to be out ahead of time, he's my sub. And I know I can have him come in here and do anything that I'm doing with the kids. No problem. That's good. That's good. Yeah. And then otherwise I've had to come up with how I can make connections to things that I can have my students do sitting down at a desk in a chair on their iPads when I'm not here, if it's an emergency type situation. So, um, some days are better than others. Um, and a lot of times if they're in the design process or in, they're in the prototyping process, there's things that I can have them be working on that aren't, Involving, you know, dangerous stuff, or a reciprocating saw or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They're not, you're going to, you're going to come back and all the kids are going to still have all their fingers. If they're, if they're working with social media presentations, that kind of stuff. So, but at least, but like you said, find, finding a teacher that you can trust somebody who is a substitute that maybe has those skills. That's, that's definitely a super thing ahead of time. But like you said, plan ahead, have some, have some good, good activities and, Hope for the best, right? Right. right. So, um, you know, everything has gone perfect in your classroom, right? You, every, everything you tried, um, no failures, right? Absolutely, without a doubt. Yeah. Um, actually, no, um, we have failures all the time. Um, for me, it's been pretty easy to deal with. I've kind of, my background isn't education. Okay. Uh, I spent a lot of time working in engineering fields and in kind of the construction industry. And so I was used, I've been really used to solving a lot of problems that I didn't solve on the first time where I had to solve multiple times to get to an end solution. Um, And so I'm pretty comfortable. I know there's a lot of teachers who struggle with admitting that they're wrong or that something's not working. Mm -hmm. And one thing I, I, try to tell all teachers, don't be afraid in the middle of whatever you're doing, just say, Hey, we're going to stop. This is not working. And we're going to go in a different direction. Yeah. Uh, I've done that multiple times because one thing that I really strive for in my classroom. Um, and I think we really strive for 
as an entire school here at STEM Academy is developing this culture of a freedom to fail. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a good way we do that is by modeling that for ourselves, you know, showing the students that we make mistakes too. And we have things that don't work out like we were going, we thought they were going to work out. So, um, when, when kids see that, that failure happening for the teacher, that's, that's reassuring to them that us adults don't have it figured all out either. Absolutely. Um, particularly because of the nature of our school, we have a high volume of gifted students here. Okay. Um, and a lot of them are afraid to be wrong when they come to us. Um, they've spent the better part of their elementary school time always being right, mainly yeah. because someone gave them the answer and they <laughs> remember the answer. Um, and then when they get to us and then we're asking them to solve real problems that maybe don't even have solutions yet, they struggle with that. Um, so we, we spend a lot of time teaching, you know, it's, it's okay to fail. And matter of fact, failure pushes you towards a better solution, particularly if you can learn from that failure. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I learn a lot from my failures <laughs> happen all the time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I hear you. I, I, I fail in my classroom too. So it's, it's important, but again, I love, I love to ask just to hear people's perspective on failure. Cause, cause that's a good reminder for all of us as educators, no matter what you're doing, things are going to go wrong. Things are not going to go as we expected. And the more you can just plow through, try something different. Like you said, stop back up, try Try something else. That's such a, such a powerful learning lesson for, for our students. So absolutely. What do you, what do you think Stephen about the, the future of STEM education, even and maker education? I know there's a lot of STEM teachers already being added, but not a lot of maker teachers like you. And there's probably very few drone teachers, but what do, what do you think about, about the future? What's your hope? Well, Here's the thing I always get. I do a lot of professional development for others for the district where I, at least twice a year where I'm working with new teachers mm-hmm. outside of school in a setting. And, and the thing I always get first when I start these things is, well, you work at the STEM Academy. I'm like, uh, okay, it's not the only place I've taught. And the things I do here aren't necessarily that different than things that I did at other schools. And my hope is that we can move beyond the initials of STEM. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and look at the methodology and the thought that everything is connected. Um, we need to get education out of silos. Yeah. We need to start teaching things in a manner that is more real world and looking at more real, real world problems. And that's kind of the hope that I would like to see is that this concepts that are behind the STEM Academy or behind the STEM education get pushed out to all schools. And we're not just calling it something separate as STEM but it just becomes the way we educate students. Yeah. Well, like, like you were talking about, you get together as your school and you take that time to say, here's a challenge. Here's something that we want our kids to be able to focus on. How can we add that, those pieces into every class, every classroom, every curriculum, not just your classroom because it's the maker room. Right. And, and the more that we can do that, like you said, get, get, I mean, even though you're a maker teacher, where that's very siloed effect. Your room is the maker room, but it's really, it's part of everything. Kids, we have, we have to be careful with, with the whole STEM acronym. You're right. All right. So uh, one more fun question to ask you, Stephen. And um, again, we're chatting with Stephen Ruth today. And again, you can find him on Twitter at S underscore R O U T H STEM. If you could have someone from STEM past or present, be a guest speaker in your classroom, just to hop in there, teach your kids something, inspire your kids in some way. 
who would that be, Stephen? Without a doubt, it'd have to be Astro Teller. Um, for those of you who don't know, Astro Teller is head of X, which is the research and development component of Google. Um, and he had the, the stuff they're doing at X is just incredible. Yeah. And a lot of the reason they're able to do the things they are is because he built, he's built that same culture of having a freedom to fail. Uh, matter of fact, um, they have created a culture where they celebrate failures. So their job when they go to work every day is to figure out how they can kill their project. <laughs> and so they take groups who are working on projects that kill their projects and they bonus those employees. They give them raises. They do things that encourage them to fail. So it really drives innovate forward. And um, I just, I love to hear him talk. He's done a couple of really good Ted talks. Mm-hmm. It'd be fantastic to have him just talk to my kids. Uh, yeah. And, and that whole idea of moonshots, sometimes right. it gets thrown around with, with the idea of X uh, being part of Google there. So, um, yeah. And, and I just easy search. You can just search for Astro Teller. Yes. First name Astro. That's yeah. It's the coolest name ever. It's, I wish I had a name <laughs> cool. Like, yeah. Um, if, if, uh, if you're looking, if, if in the future there's a whole bunch of people named Astro, that's, that's probably why Astro, wasn't Astro the dog in, uh, in the Jetsons. Yes. I, I wonder, I wonder if he was named after that. That'd be strange. I don't know. <laughs> well, Astro, if you're listening, uh, Steven would love to chat with you. He'd love to have you uh, visit his classroom live or, or digital. Um, but everybody should check him out. Like you said, those Ted talks are, are pretty incredible as well. Um, any other last thoughts, Steven, anything last, last words of advice for the, the educators listening to, to this uh, podcast? I would just say to anybody who's interested in doing anything in the making realm in their classrooms to not be afraid, just give it a shot, start with things they know and start simple and easy and just let their kids tinker or take things apart or make just, you know, anything we can do to get kids that are actually thinking about these abstract concepts that they learn about all day and turning them into physical things or just a way to, you know, push that design thinking forward that it's more than just about a bunch of weird things that we learn that maybe don't seem to have any connection, anything that we can give them physical reality through making and that just give it a shot. It doesn't have to be every day, but the more you can do it, the better things will be for you. Yeah. Great, great advice, Stephen. It doesn't have to be every day. Uh, just start with something small teachers, start with, start with something, add a little bit to your class, a piece to your class, give your kids a challenge. And a lot of times they just run with it and, and how incredible the things that, like you said, maybe those, those kids that are doing those grand challenges in your, in your classroom right now might grow up and make the real solution to some of those cybersecurity or clean water or infrastructure type, type situations that our world is dealing with. And our, our kids need to know that they're not just learning something just because we told them to. So. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, thank you again, Stephen, for, for joining us on the show today. Appreciate having you on. Yeah, thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. And again, you can find Stephen on Twitter at S underscore R-O-U-T-H-S-T-E-M. And of course, that link and others will be in the show notes. And thanks again for listening to this episode of STEM Everyday Podcast. Subscribe to it on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Leave a review and that really helps. 
and contact me if you want on Twitter at Daily STEM. Always happy to chat and help you find ways to put more STEM into your everyday classroom. You're listening to this podcast on the ESDAC Broadcasting Network. To find more information about this or other podcast shows, please visit RemarkableChatter.com. Thank <laughs> you.